We are beginning a new series this morning, The Church That Jesus Built. Uh, over the next six weeks, I think, uh, we are going to talk about the origin, the foundation, and the formation of the church. Uh, this is a... Now, let's read the verse before we get into this. Matthew 16, 13 through 20, which was just read for us. When Jesus came, I want to emphasize, of course, I've got bolded and underlined there what I want to emphasize. But as we think about the beginning of this, this is, of course, beginning... Who is Jesus? What is his work? What is he doing? Who is the Son of Man? Of course, people were confused about it, right? When Jesus came into the district, he, came, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? That is, who do people say that I am? Right? He's been doing miracles. He's been teaching. He's been preaching. He's been doing all sorts of stuff. What are people saying about me? They said, some say you're John the Baptist, right? Others say Elijah. Others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. That this, and there's a couple of ways to take this. Either they think Jesus is this person or this son of man figure, whoever is important, is either Elijah or John the Baptist or whoever. He said to them, who do you say that I am? What do you think about my work? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the, the anointed one, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, our Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. This is one of only three times in the Gospels Jesus used the word church. He almost never uses this word. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. The word kingdom, that's the word Jesus typically uses. We'll talk about that a little bit today. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. That last line there, because it's not time yet. He tells them not to tell anybody. Don't tell anybody I'm the Christ. Not yet. Now, it's going to be that that happens, but not yet. Because I'm going to build it in the future. Not ready to build it yet, but I will build my church. I will open. The idea of keys is opening, right? I will open the kingdom of heaven. And so this statement immediately opens up some questions for us. What did Jesus mean by my church? I'll build my church. What does that mean? Why? Uh, how would he build it? Why would he build it? How would he build it? How would this come to pass? What would it look like, this church that he was going to build? What, what would that be like? Over the next six weeks, that's what we're going to explore. This concept. Starting this week, his promise to build his church. And then through the next several weeks, the foundation of the thing that he would build, the problems that came up, the mission that he wanted his church to have, the organization, how would it be organized, and then the future, carrying into today. What, did that, what would that look like for the church that Jesus built? The study of Acts. This is going to be uh, walking through Acts, journeying through Acts as the backbone of this study. We'll not just be in Acts, but going generally in chronological order in the book of Acts will be the backbone of this study. We're going to begin, though, with the idea that this statement, I will build my church, didn't just come out of nowhere. Though Jesus, again, typically doesn't use the word church from the very beginning, he had been promising this idea of the kingdom, right? I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. He'd been promising this for the whole ministry. Mark chapter 1, verse 14. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. What does that mean? It's near, it's soon to arrive. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now again, Jesus only uses the word church three times. And yet as you go through the rest of the New Testament, 
the writers of the epistles, the writers of Acts, they use this word over and over and over. The assembly, the group, the gathering. What's the disconnect? They use the word church way more than Jesus ever did. Why is that? Well, of course, from the understanding, we understand that he promised the coming kingdom. Sometimes he calls it the kingdom of God. Sometimes the kingdom of heaven. Sometimes it's just kingdom. Contextually, we understand that. It was at hand or very near. And the similarity, the commonality, the church and the kingdom, especially, we'll talk about this in point number two, the kind of church that Jesus would build, the kind of kingdom he would have, it's a gathering of people. It's a collection of subjects. We understand that Ephesians 4 tells us Jesus has one body. When he talks about the kingdom of God at hand, and he promises to build his church, these are the same thing. What do we know about the nature of the thing that Jesus would build? What would it be like, this church that he was promising to build, the kingdom of God that was at hand, going all the way back to Daniel? This was a thing that was foretold long ago. Daniel 2.44, as, as uh Daniel is interpreting this vision of this statue and the different materials of the statue representing the different nations that would arise on earth. In the days of those kings, the last of the, the nations that he foresaw, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms, the ones that he had seen previously, bring them to an end, it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain and by no human hand, and it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, the gold, a great God has made known the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation sure. The kingdom that would be established, the kingdom of God that was at hand, the thing that Jesus would build, would be indestructible, unbreakable, never-ending. It would be forever and ever, and it would outlast all opponents. When Jesus builds a thing... It does not end. When he decides to establish something, what could possibly overcome it? He is the creator of all things. He is the originator of the entire universe. It would be something that would be indestructible. Luke 17, verse 20. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. It would not be observable. It would not have boundary lines on a map. It would not be something that would be established that you could go to and say, here it is, now I'm here in the kingdom. What does that mean? John 18, verse 33, he explains a bit what this means. So Pilate said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. The conflict, in, of course, at the end of the Gospels, the Jews, they have their nation, the nation of Israel. It's a nation inside another nation, the Roman Empire. They are essentially telling Pilate, Jesus is trying to overthrow the Romans. He's trying to establish this earthly kingdom. He's trying to kick out the Romans from Israel, and he's going to make the, the Israelite kingdom its own thing again. That's what they're accusing Jesus of, to get the Romans to kill him. And so that's what Pilate's questioning him about, right? Are you the king of the Jews? Are you trying to set up this earthly kingdom? And what's Jesus' point? My kingdom is not of this world. I'm not trying to establish another earthly kingdom. If that were the case, if my kingdom was of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not 
from this world. It's not a place. He's not trying to boot the Romans out of Israel. He's not trying to establish another earthly kingdom. It is eternal. It is indestructible. It is not earthly. It's not physical. It's not a literal place. It transcends all of these human definitions. The thing that Jesus would build, the church that Jesus would build, was not going to be in one place. And it was not going to be something that could be limited by human boxes, human limitations. The second point here, who would get to join this great thing that Jesus was building? He promises, I'm going to build this church. The word itself, church, not a great translation of a Greek word that just by a very simple definition means assembly, a gathering of people. He says, I will build my gathering of people. I will, he says in, in the many prophecies, it said he will call all nations unto himself. Jesus himself says this, right? I will gather all nations to myself. He's gathering people, right? He's building a kingdom, a kingdom of subjects. It's not a kingdom of nations and borders, right? It doesn't have a national boundary. The thing that delineates the kingdom is who's in it, the subjects that are in it. Who's going to get to join it? What does Jesus say? Luke 9, verse 23. He said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever would save his, own, his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and, and loses or forfeits himself? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of his Father and the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there's a lot of buildup, preamble to this. There are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Who's going to get to join this thing that Jesus would build? Well, first of all, see a couple of things here. Number one, those who are not ashamed of Jesus, they're going to get to join. Number two, those who would follow, would deny themselves, they would deny their own desires, deny their own will. They would take up his cross, that is, the things that Jesus wants them to do. They're going to follow Jesus. And then the third thing we see here, what? that some of the people who are alive in Jesus' day, they would get to join. Some of the people who were listening to him at that moment within their lifetimes would get to join this kingdom, would get to see it come. Remember, what did he say in Mark chapter 1? The kingdom of God is at hand. It's very near. It's, it's close to arriving. It's not some far future thing. It was going to be for some of his literal physical hearers. Some more specifics, okay? Well, you have to, those who would want to join his church, to be in his assembly, to join his kingdom, they would need to deny themselves. They would need to not be ashamed of Jesus. What else? John 3, 5. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Very simple here, right? Unless you're born of the water and the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom. You can't be in it. Sorry. No entrance admitted for you. John 15, 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Very simple. Again, who's going to get to be in this assembly that he's building? Those who do what he commands. Matthew 16, 18 through 19, which we've read already, right? But I want to reemphasize. And I tell you, are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. That is, you may open it up. How? Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. 
we'll talk about this more when we talk next week about the foundation. But somehow the work that the apostles would do, they would be connected to the opening of the kingdom. Who would get to be in the kingdom? In some way it would be connected to what the apostles would be doing, Peter and the other apostles. They're going to be the binders and the loosers, the one who determine in some ways, or at least explain how this would come to pass. Matthew 28, verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That last phrase there, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded to you, that's the taking up his cross, denying himself, and following me. That you're going to put aside what you want to do, and you're going to do what Jesus wants you to do. That's who gets to be in the kingdom, who gets to be in this assembly that he is gathering, that he is building. Those who will do his will. Those who will, we think about kingdom language, those who will be subject to the king. Those who will let him be ruler of their lives. They get to be in the king kingdom, right? Because he's the king of the kingdom. They have to listen to what the king has to say. So we think about this idea, the church that Jesus built. Again, we're going to unpack this quite a bit over the next six weeks as we think about a lot of different elements of what this would look like and how this would come to pass. Jesus promises Peter, on this rock I will build my church. It would be built, we must first note, in the lifetimes of his audience. It was soon to come. It was at hand. It would be built in their lifetimes. The church that Jesus built has already come because we're way past that, right? It would be indestructible and eternal. It would not be physical like human nations or buildings. It would not be delineated in the way that we delineate nations or groups or kingdoms or places. It would not be in the way that you could say, look, here it is. That's what he says specifically to them. And because it is not bound by human limitation, it can be eternal. It can be indestructible. Because it's not bound by human limitation, no human can destroy it. No human can... can eliminate it. No human can get in the way of it. It would require special obedience to enter. That you would have to be willing to subject yourself to the king's will if you wanted to be a part of it. The natural next question as we're going to unpack. What is the rock upon which it was built? The foundation. That's what we'll look at next week. The foundation of this church that Jesus was building. As we conclude, I want to read a passage in Revelation, that emphasizes two things. First, re-emphasizes the connection of the word church and kingdom, because we're gonna. this is a, an important understanding to go through. As Jesus himself, as we've noted, did not use the word church very much, and yet the writers of the New Testament, Acts through Revelation, they use the word church all the time. We have to understand this connection here between the church and the kingdom that Jesus says is at hand. And secondly, to remember, to really emphasize, to really establish that Jesus built, and I would say continues to build, the church. It's not you, and it's not me. We don't own it. It doesn't belong to us. It doesn't come from our minds. We don't get to decide who's in and who's out. We don't get to decide what should be done, what direction should it take, what the goals of the kingdom are. That's up to Jesus as the builder of this thing. Revelation 1, 4 through 8. This will be our last verse this morning. 
John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, the seven assemblies, the gatherings of Christians. Now, which seven is he talking about? Well, that's what is in Revelation 2 through 4, right? The seven churches, the different people that are receiving these instructions. But, of course, this is meant to apply to all congregations, all gatherings of his people. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come from the seven spirits who were before his throne, from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us a kingdom. Has made us a kingdom. Now, in the context of these verses, who's the us? Well, it's John and the seven churches, right? John and the seven churches of Asia were the kingdom. They were the kingdom. They had been made into the kingdom that Jesus wanted them to be. And might I say by extension, that would apply to all of those who are in his assembly, those who have submitted themselves to his will. He is forging us into this kingdom, this kingdom that transcends human boundaries, transcends nationalities and borders and, and time and space. Because it's eternal, it's indestructible, it's all-encompassing. He has made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. All the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who was, uh, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Why is it his church, not our church? Well, number one, he's the builder, but what do we see here? He is the ruler of kings on the earth, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. The firstborn of the dead, we all follow in that, right? He's the firstborn, but we're going to emulate that. When he says, you must be born of water and the spirit, go make disciples of all nations, immersing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's us following in his resurrection, isn't it? We die to self, we kill our old selves, our old will. We're buried in immersion and we rise. We are raised. He's the firstborn of the dead. We all follow in that. But he was the first one. He was the originator of that concept. He says it in Romans 6, those who have died to self, those who have joined him in his death and resurrection. But the second thing here, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye of, of earth will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. He has given us stewardship over his kingdom, over his church, temporarily, as we are working in his kingdom. We're working to accomplish what he wants. We're trying to make sure that we're following his will. But he's coming back, isn't he? He's coming back to take full possession and over, uh, ownership of it. He's given it to us temporarily, but when he comes back, then we better have made sure that we were following his plan. Just because he's not here right now doesn't mean he's not still king. Just because we can't see him doesn't mean he still isn't ruler over what's going on in his church. As we conclude, we offer the invitation. The invitation that he himself offers over throughout the Gospels. The kingdom of God is at hand. What did he say in Mark chapter 1? Repent 
and believe in the gospel, believe in the good news of Jesus, we need to repent to turn from our old ways. What does it say? You are my friends if you keep my commandments, if you do what I say. Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations, immersing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The invitation to join his kingdom today because he is coming back. When is he coming back? I don't know. Could be today. Wouldn't that be great? I say this all the time. I just really, I'm, I'm eager and excited. I hope you are too, eager and excited for him to return. It would be so great if he would return today. But it would only be great for you if you were part of his kingdom on earth. And so we urgently offer the invitation. Come while we stand and sing.